What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast with Joey Mailari. Tonight, I'm going to break down what happened in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the NHL playoffs, and we'll give my predictions for the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, which will be in a couple days, Wednesday night, uh, will be the first game uh, in Colorado. Uh, after that, I'll move on to the MLB and discuss some of the biggest headlines uh, within news around the game of baseball, including the Angels' 14-game losing streak, uh, which, which they end up snapping against the Red Sox, um, the Yankees' continual success, uh, and then we'll also get into uh, Joe Madden getting fired. Um, following that, I will touch on the Red Sox' uh, recent 10-game road trip uh, in and uh, update you guys on some injuries uh, within the Red Sox uh, pitching staff. Um, at the end, I will recap the Celtics Warriors game for a showdown at the TD Garden uh, from a few nights ago and provide a ton of stats uh, for some of the key players on each team uh, and how they've performed so far in the series. Um, so to start off, NHL playoffs, um, tough break for my pick of the Oilers over the Avalanche. Um, I guess some of my predictions on this show the last few times uh, I've given some predictions, haven't gone too well. Um, I said Angels, Dodgers, World Series prediction. Um, might have been my first episode. Um, and the Angels ended up losing 14 games straight after I said that. Um, and then Joe Madden gets fired as well. Um, originally, uh, for my radio show BC, I had Red Sox Phillies uh, before opening day. Um, and Joe Girardi was just fired um, last week. Um, so maybe I relax on the hot takes for a few. But... Considering uh, you know how well the Red Sox have been playing recently, and also the Phillies, Phillies are nine and zero. We're nine and zero. Excuse me, since firing Joe Girardi, they ended up losing, but uh, won nine straight games after firing him and reached five hundred for the first time since April thirtieth. Uh, when at that time on April thirtieth they were only eleven and eleven, um, reaching five hundred after that uh, long of the season, and just getting back and getting your feet you know back on the ground and steady um, is honestly impressive. So you never know. I guess Red Sox Phillies still an opportunity there, but. Uh, it's a long season, obviously. I think the favorites right now, everyone's going to go Red Sox. Excuse me, not Red Sox. Yankees, Mets. Um, it would be really cool to have Subway Series, World Series. But anyways, maybe I should relax on the hot takes for a few. I did have the Oilers over the Avalanche at six games. Uh, that didn't work out. The Avalanche were just too much uh, for the Oilers to handle. Uh, it just seemed like the Oilers didn't uh, care as much after the Calgary Series. It seemed like... You know, it was like one of those, oh, at least we beat Calgary already. So it's kind of like winning the Stanley Cup, you know, in our eyes. And we feel like we already accomplished enough. So just didn't seem like they had the effort. Um, it didn't care as much. Um, but two guys you can't blame, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, they came up just short of making the Stanley Cup finals, obviously. But they played their absolute hearts out. Um, two historic seasons came to an end. But what a run for them. It was the first time the Oilers reached the Western Conference Finals since 2006. First time the Oilers won a playoff series since 2017. Um, McDavid, 10 goals, 23 assists, 33 playoff points in 16 games. Dreisaitl, uh, 16 games in the playoffs, 7 goals, 25 assists, 32 points. Um, for McDavid, he had the third most points in a single season uh, since 1995-1996, um, which I saw uh, as a Sportsnet uh, statistic on Instagram. Um, the second, I believe, if I remember, yeah, Jeremy Yaga, um, had the second most, 172 points in 1995-1996 season. And then Mario Lemieux had 188 points in uh, the 1995-1996 season. But uh, McDavid, 156 points, third most points in a single season in NHL history. So very impressive for him. Um, and then Leon Dreisaitl finished with the third most three-point games in a single postseason in NHL history, uh, seven games. Uh, Gretzky was first with nine in, in the 1985 playoffs. Gretzky was second. Uh, with eight three-point games in the 1988 playoffs, and then fourth 
uh, with seven games, uh, seven three-point games in the 1993 playoffs. So it just shows how dominant of a player Wayne Gretzky was. But Dreisaitl and McDavid had such great years. Um, it came down at the end of the day. The Avalanche were just too much to handle. Um, Orioles goalie Mike Smith did give up 19 goals in the four-game sweep um, against the Avalanche. But he did face 149 shots in four games, 130 saves and 149 opportunities. Had an 87.2 save percentage, so uh, not too good, especially to beat a team like the Avalanche. You kind of have to slow them down. You know their offense is going to score four, five, six goals a game if you let them. So if you only give up two, three goals a game, it makes it a lot easier. But if you're giving up you know, six goals and losing eight to six in game one, uh, that's just not an easy thing to come back from. Uh, anyways, but very historic season, though, for the Oilers, just being able to get to the Western Conference Finals again. Uh, obviously, next year, we'll see how that works out, but... Um, I'm happy they got back on track. Um, Evander Kane led the Oilers in the postseason with 13 goals. Um, McDavid, as I said, 33 playoff points in 16 games. Dreisaitl, 32 uh, points in the playoffs. So they had two great um, playoff runs there. Um, Kiel Makara had the most points in the series uh, with nine points, two goals, seven assists. Miko Rantanen had four goals, two assists, six points. Um, and then Avalanche Star Center, who definitely played, who definitely will play a big role for them uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, is Nathan McKinnon. Uh, he had a three goals and two assists in the four games versus the Oilers. Uh, it just seemed like the Oilers didn't have enough uh, juice. That Calgary series beating them, it just seemed like after that they already kind of felt like you know we already did enough type of thing, and just didn't seem like they were trying as hard. I'm sure, obviously, they were trying, so I'm not doubting uh, their effort and how much they obviously cared, and how much they put into trying to win, but. They just didn't have that juice or that poise they had in that Calgary series. Um, anyways, for the Rangers, um, the Rangers and Lightning series, uh, the Rangers beat both the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Carolina Hurricanes after being down 3-2 to two in both series. So then in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, the Rangers found themselves down 3-2 to two once again, this time to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, after they were up 2-0 to oh in the series, actually, the Rangers you know, won the first two games, started out very hot. Ended up losing three straight to the Lightning. Had a chance once again being down 3-2 to maybe see if they could work their 3-2 magic and try to win two straight um, to punch a ticket to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, but this time just fell short. Um, one thing with the Rangers was just their offense. Uh, they only scored one non-power play goal in the last four games of the series. Uh, they had a 2-0 series lead. Blew it, obviously losing four straight to Tampa Bay. Um, and only scored five goals um, in that four-game stretch, the last four games of the series. Um, and only one of them was not from a power play. And you're just not going to win any games, whether it's a Stanley Cup uh, playoffs, whether it's a regular season game, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, any game, preseason, college hockey, anything. You're not going to win any games if only one goal in four straight games, only one goal of your goals you score in four games is not from a power play. You have to be able to score not on power plays, and the Rangers were just too reliant on the power play um, in the series, which, I mean, it worked the first few games, but... In the last four games, only having one goal that wasn't a power play, that was just uh, too much for them to overcome. Uh, and they obviously couldn't score goals uh, five on five, and that that's definitely a big issue. Uh, Rangers goalie Igor Shosturkin uh, was strong in net, uh, saved 195 of 209 shots faced, had a 93.3 save percentage in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, the Rangers didn't have enough juice after Game Two. Uh, Mika Zibanejad and Adam Fox and uh, Temi Panarin and Chris Kreider and Frank Vitrano, um they all you know. Had decent series, five points apiece um, in six games, so just under a point a game. I highlighted, I think, every one of them in my NHL, my NHL playoff special, um, but uh, they fell just short. It's definitely tough, though. I think when I think when New York teams are better, whether it's 
the Yankees, the Red Sox, uh, excuse me, the, the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry is always better when the Yankees are, are better. But uh, when the Yankees are better, the Giants are better, the Jets, uh, the Mets, um, the Knicks. Anytime a New York team's better, I just feel like sports, the Island as well. But anytime New York teams are better, I just feel like sports in general are better. So I was kind of rooting for the Rangers to try to force a Game 7, make things interesting. But um, they just fell uh, short. Um, as for the Lightning, um, Andre Palat and Nikita Kucherov um, led the Lightning in points uh, with eight points in, in in the six games of the series. Um, Steven Stamkos added six goals. He's still a scoring machine. Also had two assists uh, for seven total points. Um, then Andre Vasilevsky uh, had a 91.9% save percentage in the series. Um, in the four games, uh, in the last four games, the four games the Lightning won, uh, he saved 106 of 111 shots faced. Uh, which is a 95.5% save percentage, which is elite. Um, so the Lightning reached the Stanley Cup Finals for the third straight year. After the first round um, of the playoffs, my prediction was, um, I believe, the Lightning over the Oilers in six. Um, this time, once again, I'll stay with the Lightning. This time, obviously, it's Colorado. I'll take them in seven um, over Colorado. Um, so the first game of of the Stanley Cup Finals is Wednesday at Colorado, 8 o'clock. Um, it's puck drop. Uh, in the games they played this season, they played two games. The Avalanche won both of those regular season matchups. Um, on October 23rd of 2021, the Avalanche won 4-3 over the Lightning in a shootout at Tampa Bay. Um, and then February 10th, 2022, uh, they faced off yet again, and the Avalanche won 3-2 at Colorado this time. Um, so we'll see how this series works out. Um, Avalanche goalie Darcy Kemper um, missed the last four games. Uh, Colorado backup Pavel Fransos, um stepped up in Kemper's absence uh, and played very well. Um, Fransos played in game one after Kemper exited with an injury um, that started the next three games. Was 4-0 uh, with a 90.8 save percentage. Had a shutout, uh, stopping 99 of 109 shots faced. So... Did, did well enough for them to win, especially stepping up as a backup. Um, it's not easy to come into, into a situation, especially in the Western Conference Finals in Game 1 and have to come in um, in the starting goalie's absence when he gets hurt. So uh, he played very well. Um, my prediction, though, I'm going to say Lightning in 7. Um, this is the first time the Avalanche are in the Stanley Cup um, Finals since 2001 uh, when they won and they beat the Devils uh, in 7 games. Uh, historically, they got two Stanley Cup championships, uh, two and one in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, and now this is the third straight year the Lightning have made the Stanley Cup Finals, which I've talked about um, a couple of times now. Uh, three championships uh, in the uh, franchise history, um, three and one in the Stanley Cup Finals. I think the Lightning win this in seven. Um, I, I'm not really sure uh, how to, how it'll go. I think both teams probably win their home games, and then uh, we'll see where it goes from there. I don't think it'll be a Celtic series where it's one 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 one. I feel like both teams, you know, go 2-0 and at home, and then, you know, we'll see what happens in Game 5. But I'll definitely keep you guys updated with that uh, and give more updated predictions as the series goes along. Um, now moving on uh, to the MLB. The biggest storylines um, over the last week have been the Yankees continuing to mash the ball at the plate um, and pitching very well. Um, the Angels firing Joe Madden after uh, a 12-game losing streak and ended up getting to 14 games before they actually won. Um, and the Phillies going on a run after firing Joe Girardi. Um, so a lot of things going on in the MLB. Um, to start off, uh, the Angels were 0-9 in one-run games over the 14-game losing streak, which uh, you just can't have worse luck than that. That's pure bad luck. Um, there's nothing you can do about it at the end of the day. Um, and then add on Mike Trout getting hurt. He only missed a couple games, but the luck of him getting hurt uh, just was not in their favor at all. Um, they had no luck. Um, and I feel bad for Joe Madden. I'll say that. Um, after the Angels lost the 14th, or excuse me, the 12th game uh, in a row, uh, Joe Madden got his hair cut 
um, and, and, and got a mohawk just to try to change the luck and see if uh, I could spark the team uh, and maybe get them a win. Um, he was fired, actually, before he could show them. That report came out today. So I feel bad for him. I actually don't think he was uh, the biggest issue. I don't think it was his fault, um, especially considering the fact that over that 12-game streak, Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, both are struggling heavily. Um, I saw this on a stat from MLB Tonight on MLB Network. Um, over that 12-game uh, stretch of losses, um, Otani was 180 with only four extra base hits and a 718 OPS. He had a 9 ERA on the mound in two starts, nine innings pitched, 14 hits allowed, and he had a 359 um, batting average allowed um, to opposing batters, which just does not show Shohei. Especially the Shohei we saw against the Red Sox. He was elite, um, which I'm going to get into in a second. Um, then Mike Trout was hitting 114 with only two extra base hits um, and a 409 OPS. And that's actually the most surprising thing, a 409 uh, OPS, especially considering how good Mike Trout is. He's always in the 800s and 900s. Um, but the 0 for 26 streak that he had um, is the reason his OPS was so uh, low over that stretch. Um, and then Brandon Marsh, who has been decent for the Angels this year. I'm not going to put all the blame on him. I think he's hitting around 250 um, on the year. He was only hitting 154 in that 12-game span with one extra base hit and a 355 OPS. So uh, your two best players in Trout and Otani were struggling heavily. Um, so I don't think uh, Joe Madden was to blame. Um, I know Otani said he feels really bad for Madden and, and wanted to thank him for everything he did. Um, and he feels like you know the players at the end of the day are partly at fault uh, for his firing, which... I mean, I'm not going to blame the players, but I don't think it was Joe Madden's fault either when, you know, no one on the team was really producing, especially, you know, the two best players in baseball, uh, two best players in your team, the two best hitters, and I think the two best players in all of Major League Baseball uh, went ice cold over that uh, 12-game stretch before Madden was fired and uh, before Phil Nevin took over. So I'm not going to blame Joe Madden, um, but the Angels ended up getting back on track, um, and they played, what night did they beat the Red Sox? I believe it was Thursday night, last Thursday night. Uh, the Angels snapped their losing skid uh, with superstar 2021 MVP Shohei Otani on the mound. Um, he had a superb game at the dish and on the mound, both. Um, he was 2-4 for four at the plate, uh, had a two-run home run to give the Angels a 2-1 lead in the fifth inning. It was 104.4 miles per hour off the bat. Um, and then he threw a 101-mile uh, per hour pitch to strike out uh, Rafael Devis in the same game. It's just nuts. You could throw a 101 um, and also hit a home run uh, with a 104-mile uh, per hour exit velocity. But Otani continues to surprise you every single game you watch. It just shows how unique and how rare a talent like Shohei Otani is. And I think he's the most marketable player in baseball just because how much he's brought, how much attention he's brought to the game of baseball over the past year. Everyone's, if you're going to talk baseball, which I know ESPN doesn't talk about it too much, if you're going to talk about it 50% of the time, 60% of the time, it's about Otani. So he's definitely something uh, you can uh, market and, and get people to uh, get more involved with the game and interested. Um, anyways, they, uh, on the mound, he went seven innings, gave up one run, four hits, two walks, six strikeouts, um, got the win as well. Um, I think he improved to four and four in the season, so now at five hundred. Um, tough luck though for the Angels, as I said, uh, right before Joe Maddon could show the team his mohawk, he was fired. So didn't work out there for him. Um, I think maybe they could have. I think maybe they pulled the plug too quick, just because I don't think it was you know his fault necessarily if every one of the team was struggling. But uh, it is what it is. It is what it is at the end of the day. Um, on Saturday, the Angels got uh, Mike Trout fully back healthy um, after missing a few games against the uh, Mets. 
Um, and Toronto Tani did not disappoint one bit. Um, an 11 to six win um, in LA at, at, at Anaheim. Uh, Trout was three of four with three RBIs, three runs scored, two home runs, and a double. Um, Otani was three of four as well, three RBIs, three runs scored, just like Trout. Three RBIs, three runs scored, three for four. Um, Otani had a walk, um, hit a home run, and a double as well. Um, so they were combined six of eight with six RBIs, six runs scored, three home runs, two doubles, and a single. Uh, as I said, the two best players in baseball, in my opinion. Uh, it's very exciting being able to watch games, seeing them uh, always hit after each other. It's just something different uh, every single time you're watching. Every time you watch an Angels game, there's something that one of them does. You're just like, wow, these guys are unreal. Um, so I'm always interested in watching them play. Um, Jared Walsh in that game hit for the cycle. Um, the eighth Angel to accomplish that feat. Um, he was 4 for 5, 3 RBIs, and a run scored. So congratulations to him on a great game. Um, so the Angels did lose 14 straight. Um, now, two, now have won two of their last four games. Um, on May 24th, my prediction was... Dodgers Angels, my first episode. I said Dodgers Angels in the World Series. Um, and I thought it could happen. I mean, who knows? It still could. Um, but I was rooting for it to happen just because I love Otani and Trout. I do like the Dodgers too because I like Mookie. Um, but after I said that on May 24th, the Angels lost the next 14 games straight. Um, they played in, in, and they had a 27 and 17 record, I believe, off the top of my head um, when I made uh, that prediction. Um, and that Hill Mirror prediction just put them into a 10-game, which turned into a 12-game, which turned into a 14-game skid. Um, so they lost 14 straight games, um, ended up being, you know, after being 27-17 and 17 when I said that, 27-31 and 31, uh, before they actually beat the Red Sox um, and got and got a win and got back on track. But when I did make that prediction, they had the 8th best record in baseball, um, were on track to returning to the playoffs for the first time since 2014. Um, and then obviously uh, things just went downhill. Uh, over that 14-game stretch. Um, but we're only, as I said, we're only a third way through the season, you know, one-third of the way. So um, most teams have played just about 60 games now. Um, so about a third of the way through the season. So a um, little over a third. But um, with them being, you know, 27-17 when I said that, now being, uh, you know, obviously losing 14 straight games, not an easy prediction. But I'll say this. It's a long season. Anything can happen. Uh, when you have the two best players in baseball, um especially when they play up to their abilities. Uh, if the Angels are on their A game and if they're pitching, um, you know, like Noah Syndergaard and, and Shohei Otani, um, stay pitching well and playing well. Um, I'm sure teams don't want to face them uh, in the playoffs so they can sneak in. Um, so at least they, you know, ended up winning a game. I know the Orioles in 2019, I believe it was August of 2021, excuse me, not 2019. Um, they've had a, a lot of bad losing streaks, the the Orioles. But in August of 2021, they lost 19 straight games. So at least the Angels didn't get to that degree. 14 games, obviously not good. I'm not saying it's great, but if you you know lost more than 19 straight, uh, it's losing you know two thirds of a month almost. Um, so 14 games, about half a month. Um, but definitely tough. Um, losing 19 straight, excuse me, be like losing two thirds. Um, of a full month uh, like the Orioles did, but losing 14 is just about uh, half a month. So they recovered well, won two of their last four games for the Angels, so uh, we'll see how they uh, continue to roll. Uh, hopefully Trout and Otani stay hot. Um, anyway, speaking of hot, moving on now to the Yankees. Uh, the New York Yankees have been elite um, this entire season. Uh, the success really starts with their pitching, um, for sure, but I think their health is most important, um, especially when you have Aaron Judge, who's always hurt. Um, he's hit 23 home runs in his last 45 games. 
Uh, in that stretch, the Yankees at 35 and 10. Um, Judges hit 318 on the year with 24 home runs in 58 games. And at this point, honestly, he could beat, I think he will beat, his 52 home run uh, mark of 2017 when he won Rookie of the Year. Um, and I think he finished second in MVP voting that year. But in that season, had 52 home runs in 155 games. Um, as long as he stays healthy, which we know is a struggle, obviously, for guys like him, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, they're always on the IL, always hurt. Uh, if he were to stay healthy, I think he could beat that 52 mark, especially since he already has you know 24 and 58 games. Um, in his last 25 games, Judge is hitting 347 uh, with the 1173 OPS. Uh, he's hit 12 home runs over that stretch with 21 RBIs and 24 runs scored. So he's stayed hot. You know, over the last 25 games, he's been elite. I mean, he stayed hot the whole season. He's having a great year. The Yankees in general, they're 44 and 16, uh, the best record of baseball. In second, with the second best record of baseball, uh, the New York Mets, uh, with a 40 and 22 um, record um, so far in the season. So, 40 and 22 uh, for the Mets, 44 and 16 for the Yankees. So, New York baseball um, is at its height; it's at its peak right now. Um, and the Yankees have s- at least seven more wins than any team in baseball besides the Mets. I only got four more than the Mets, but they have at least seven more wins than any team in baseball besides the Mets, which is just absolutely nuts. It just shows how dominant they've been this season. Um, they just blew up the Cubs yesterday, 18-4. to um, They swept the Cubs, actually, um, the weekend series. The Cubs have struggled heavily this year, so it's not like they were beating you know, the Dodgers and sweeping them uh, heavily. But one year removed after starting a complete rebuild with trading um, Javi Baez and Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, um, this Cubs team is just absolutely depleted. Um, the Yankees outscored them 28-5 to this weekend, um, and now the Yankees are 11-1 in their last 12 games. So they've stayed great. I don't, I don't even know like how to describe how well they've been playing because I honestly think when they were, you know, hitting so well, you know, beginning of the season, April, May, I thought, you know, maybe this team will tail off. You know, a lot of guys in that lineup that like to strike out, Judge, Stanton, Donaldson, um, Rizzo, they all strike out a ton. So I thought, you know, maybe these guys will cool off, but They've all stayed hot. Um, I know Rizzo's hitting just about 210. He has 15 home runs in the year. Um, and then they picked up a uh, longtime St. Louis Cardinals infielder, uh, Matt Carpenter, who has struggled over the last few seasons uh, in St. Louis, hitting just 203 in his last three seasons with the Cardinals. Um, but um, in 10 games of the Yankees, something's completely flipped. Uh, Carpenter's hitting 333, 8-24 at the plate with six home runs, uh, 13 RBIs. Um, in 309 games, uh, his last 309 games through last three seasons with the Cardinals, he had 910 plate appearances and hit only seven home runs in his last 180 games as a Cardinal. He had only 21 RBIs in 130 games in 2021. Now, with the Yankees, he has 13 RBIs in 10 games. After I just said, he only had 21 in all of 2021. He has seven home runs, six, excuse me, six home runs and 24 at-bats in 10 games with the Yankees. And he only had seven home runs in his last 180 games. 180 games, the Cardinal has last 180 games. He only had seven home runs, and he already has six with the Yankees in just 10 games, uh, which is absolutely nuts. In his last three seasons, he only had 22 home runs with the Cardinals and 910 plate appearances. And he already has six with the Yankees in his first 24 at-bats, which is just absolutely nuts. Um, just shows how hot he's been. Um, the Yankees' offense in general has just been top-tier all year long. Number one in runs scored, 307 runs. Um, number one in home runs, the MLB, uh, with 98. They have the best team OPS of baseball with an OPS of 769. Um, so 
It's not just a few guys that hit well. Everyone in the Yankees lineup, uh, I know some guys have lower batting averages, but they have a ton of power in that uh, lineup. 98 home runs is just nuts, um, especially considering since some teams only have 40 or 50. Um, the Yankees have double that, um, almost at 100. Um, so the Yankees starting pitching is another thing I want to talk about. They've been a lead all year. Um, 285 ERA as a team. Uh, they have four starters with an ERA under three, which is just absolutely insane. Um, the only Yankee starting pitcher with an ERA over three is the one making $36 million, uh per year, and that's Garrett Cole with the 363 ERA. Um, so as I said, the Yankees are the best ERA in baseball, 285 um, as a team. The best whip in baseball, um, walks, hits, um, per innings pitched, um, 106. Um, so it just shows that elite starting pitching uh, really starts with issuing less walks. Um, and the Yankees pitching staff... Um, has only issued 144 walks in, in 542 and a third innings this year, which is also the best in baseball. So uh, I've always said pitching um, is the most important part of a team, most important part of a, a winning team in baseball. And this Yankees team, the whole starting rotation has just been great. Um, and as I said, only 144, pit, 144 base on balls um, issued for this Yankees pitching staff in 542 and a third innings. So that's just elite. Uh, especially considering since a lot of these guys in their lineup, a lot of these guys in their rotation, uh, you know, haven't had elite control their whole career. Jameson Tyone, 7-1 on the year with a 2.93 ERA. Uh, he's had 52 strikeouts to 7 walks and 67.2 innings pitched. Garrett Cole, 5-1 with a 3.63 ERA. As I said, the worst ERA in the Yankees, uh, in the Yankees starting rotation. Uh, he only has... Uh, 17 walks, though, so not too bad in 67 innings pitched, 84 strikeouts in 67 innings. So he's obviously their big K guy, getting a lot of strikeouts. Uh, Jordan Montgomery has been really good this year, 2-7 ERA, uh, 55 hits allowed in 66.2 innings pitched, 10 walks to 51 strikeouts um, in 66 innings, 66 uh, and two-thirds innings. Nesta Cortez, been probably the best pitcher, I'd say, on the Yankees rotation um, this year. Not just because his ERA is low, but just watching him-wise. I think he's the most comfortable out there and has, has been playing really well. 5-2 um, and two with a one nine six ERA. 71 strikeouts to 14 walks and 64.1 innings pitched. Uh, and then Luis Severino, my favorite player on the Yankees. One of my favorite pitches in all baseball. I'm a huge fan of him. So happy to have him uh, come back and play so well. Um, I'm a Red Sox fan, obviously, but I'm um, a big Severino guy. So I'm happy to see him come back and play so well after you know two straight years injury, uh, two straight injury plague seasons. Uh, happy to see him come back and play so well. He's four and one with a two eight ERA, um, seventy one strikeouts uh, to fifteen walks and sixty one innings pitched. Um, so he's back. He's playing really well, 2-8 ERA, um, which is fourth best in the starting, third best, excuse me, in the starting rotation. It goes Cortez, Montgomery, Severino, Tyone, and then Garrett Cole. So uh, we'll continue to talk about uh, the Yankees, I'm sure, uh, all season long with how well they've been playing and how well they've been pitching and hitting. Um, an exciting team to watch right now. Um, so the Red Sox, moving on uh, to the Red Sox. They just finished up their 10-game uh, West Coast trip with an 8-2 eight, eight and two record. Um, they got a Spock. Over the weekend from Rob Ref Snyder, um, who made a highlight reel uh, play of the month type of catch in right field yesterday in the Red Sox 2-0 win uh, over the Mariners. Um, fully extended, backhanded diving play, left his feet, made a spectacular catch. Um, it was a 2-0 game too, so any guy getting on base um, could be an issue, especially considering uh, how bad the Red Sox bullpen has played at times this year. Um, but he made a huge play, got the Red Sox a big out, um, ended up contributing heavily to the win. 
Um, in five games this year, he's a 467 OBP um, on base percentage. Uh, he's uh, he's gotten on base seven times in 15 plate appearances, which is really good. Um, he gets on base um, in different ways every single game. Uh, he's got hit uh, in both games he played in versus Seattle, uh, which doesn't happen too often. Again, hit two straight days. Um, he's hit by a pitch in the eighth inning yesterday. Um, ended up scoring on the next step at when Rafael Devis hit uh, his 14th home run of the season. The only run scored actually uh, came off that at bat from Devis yesterday. Gave the Red Sox a two nothing lead, which they ended up winning two nothing. Um, and then the next step bat after that, actually after Devis hit that home run, um, JD Martinez was drilled in the hand. Uh, next at bat, so it's two guys getting hit in three at bats. Um, Ref Snyder, then obviously Devis hits the home run, and then JD gets hit. Um, and Devis was also actually hit. Um, by a pitch on Sunday as well. Um, he hit a home run in Saturday's game uh, that the Mariners were not a fan of, um, and that actually led to um, J.D. getting the pitch high and tight um, on Saturday after Devis hit that home run and admired uh, and walked kind of up the first baseline a little bit. He stood in the batter's box for a second, looked at it, um, and then you know took a couple steps uh, up the first baseline and then started running. But that next step bat on Saturday, uh, J.D. got a pitch high and tight, um, and then on Sunday, uh, Ref Snyder got hit yet again after getting hit on Saturday. Um, and then uh, JD got hit yesterday on Sunday um, after Saturday being uh, thrown um, at high and tight. So I guess the tension uh, became to be it came to be a problem between the Red Sox and the Mariners. Um, but uh, no one ever really knew that. It wasn't like they were playing, you know beginning of the year or something, and uh, there was a scuffle when, you know, each team wants to get back at each other. Um, I'm not really too sure what happened there, but um, they won't meet again this year anyways unless it were to be in the playoffs, so uh, I guess we won't have to worry too much about that. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck um, hit two home runs in the three-game uh, series um, versus Seattle. He actually grew up in Seattle and had a fam- uh, had all his family and friends at the game, so uh, I'm sure it was a cool, exciting uh, weekend for him and his family. Um Gave the Red Sox a huge 6-5 to lead of uh, the solo home run at the top of the ninth on Saturday with two outs. Um, and then the Red Sox actually ended up blowing it anyways in the ninth inning. Hansa Robles came in and, and gave it up. Um, gave up a walk-off. Um, Jackie Bradley gave a tremendous effort on a ball that was a line drive in center field. Fully extended, trying to make a play to prevent um, the walk-off of the Mariners, but uh, fell just short of it. Um, did give it everything he can. He gave it uh, his all. Uh, fully lunged and, and, and you know uh, launched his body trying to make a play and just uh, came up short. Um, so the Red Sox on the road trip um, outscored opponents forty-two to twenty-four. Um, took three or four against the Angels, swept the A's. Um, it took three, two of three against Seattle. So not a bad road trip. Um, the Red Sox will now face the A's at home for a three-game series starting tomorrow. Um, and some news within the Red Sox um, pitching staff. Chris Sale hit 96 miles per hour um, in a simulated batting practice today in Fort Myers, according to Chris Cotillo of MassLive.com. Uh, my buddy Chris does great work. Um, Nate Evaldi hit the 15-day IL uh, with low back inflammation a couple days ago. Uh, Cutter Crawford actually uh, was stellar in his absence uh, on the mound yesterday, going five innings, um, a strong five innings, I should say, along one hit, um, striking out four. Uh, striking out seven, excusing, excuse me, walking four batters uh, and allowing zero runs. Uh, the Sox actually only allowed one hit to the Mariners yesterday. The bullpen was elite uh, yesterday. Four innings pitched for the bullpen, zero runs, zero hits, one walk, um, and three strikeouts. In and, and credit to Ryan Brazier, Austin Davis, Tyler Danish, um, John, John Schreiber, and Tanner Houck, 
Um, Ten Hoke actually picked his, picked up his second save of the year yesterday. Um, they all pitched very well. Um, and now the Red Sox will be out, uh, be without Garrett Whitlock for a little bit. Um, he was placed in the 15-day injured list as well uh, with right hip inflammation. Uh, I guess it's not too much to worry about. Alex Cora said if it were to be September, he would be pitching right now. Um, according to Chris Smith uh, of MassLive.com. So maybe it isn't too serious. I hope it isn't, um, especially considering since Whitlock, uh, once Chris Sale were to come back and James Paxton were to come back, I would hope Chris uh, Sale and and, and Paxton would be healthy enough to be in the starting rotation so Whitlock could go back to the bullpen to be the closer. Um, We'll see how that goes, obviously. Um, Chris Sale hit 96 is huge news for the Red Sox, especially since his fastball last year was really only at 88 to 90 to 91 to 92. He never really got to 96 last year. Um, and, you know, in the short part of the season he played. Um, again to 96, that's great. Um, then also losing Nate Evaldi to the 15 day IL. Losing Nate obviously isn't something the Red Sox wanted to do. Um, but I guess giving him some time off um, to rest since he's had a lot of uh, elbow injuries in the past, which he hasn't, luckily, you know, knock on wood, the last two to three seasons has been uh, relatively healthy with his arm. Uh, but he's had some injuries over the past few years. Um, and he's been getting um, a ton of innings pitched. Uh, you know, had a complete game uh, a few weeks ago for the Red Sox. So I guess giving him a little bit of time off um, to rest his arm, especially since the Red Sox um, are playing well right now. Cutter Crawford, as I said, uh, stepped up well uh, in his absence. I guess giving Nate a little bit of time off um, while the Red Sox are hot hitting-wise, especially since we're only playing the A's this week. Um, it's like we're playing, you know, the Dodgers in the World Series or something. Um, I think Nate would be playing right now, and same thing uh, with Whitlock um, if it were to be you know a bigger game. So I guess giving some time off, some rest, especially since we're on a ten game ten game road trip, guys really needed it. Um, that's what Alex Cora did actually. You know he rested Devis one night, um, Story one night, um, JD one night, Verdugo another night, um, giving guys nights off. Um, just to try to keep them fresh um, for bigger games, especially since when you play 10 straight games, uh, guys are going to get burned out. Um, anyways, Kike Hernandez, the next guy I want to talk about, was placed on the 10-day IL uh, with the right hip flexor strain, um, which allowed actually Rob Refsnyder to get some opportunities, and he's been playing well, so I guess you can't really complain there. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about, Jonathan Arauz was designated for assignment uh, by the Red Sox. Not too sure what's going on there. Um, if he was picked up or not, but uh, if he were not to be, he'll just be placed back um, in Worcester on the Worcester Red Sox, the Woo Sox, um, and we'll see uh, where he goes from there. Anyways, now moving on to the biggest uh, part of my podcast here. Um, the Celtics Game 4 matchup uh, versus the Warriors was one that was tough for the Celtics, but if you're a basketball fan watching, you could just be mesmerized by how great Steph Curry was. He was truly unreal. Uh, he was on his grind like Jimmy Butler in the 2020 playoffs. Uh, Steph played 132 playoff games in his career um, and had the third most points in a single playoff game uh, on that game uh, in Game 4 with 43 points, uh, 14 of 26 shooting uh, from the floor, 7 of 14 from 3, had 10 rebounds uh, and 4 assists to go along with that. He was just truly sensational um, in that game. And if you're a basketball fan, obviously um, it's going to be something you're excited, excited to watch as a Celtics fan. You know, not so much. You know, being able to watch Steph, you know, drill threes in your team is never going to be fun. But I'll say this: if you're a Celtics fan, um, it's not great. If you're a fan just of the game of basketball, of sports in general, watching Steph Curry is truly sensational. It's just absolutely nuts. And I think he's honestly made a case to be MVP, even if the Warriors weren't to win this series. Let's say the Warriors were not to win this series, which uh, doesn't really happen often, where a guy that you know loses uh, ends up winning f- Finals MVP. But he's averaging 34.3 points per game. 6.3 per rebounds with 3.8 assists a game in the finals to go along with two steals. He's shooting 50% from the field, 49% from three. 
Um, he's playing 37 minutes a game as well. Um, imagine if he played a full uh, extra quarter like Jimmy Butler did uh, in a good amount of that final series in 2020 against the Lakers uh, when the Heat matched up with them. Uh, but Steph's just been unreal on a different level. 34.3 points. Uh, so clutch. I mean, in Game 4, uh, just so effortless. Some of his threes in, in the biggest moments of the game. Then you look at the Celtics. And you get guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown that don't want to shoot, which I'm going to get into in a second, uh, but don't want to take the big shots and let Marcus Smart and Marcus Smart and Al Horford take the biggest shots of the game. If you're two superstars, which I see them as both stars, I don't see them as both superstars. I know Celtics fans, a lot of Celtics fans see them as superstars. No superstar wants to pass the ball away in the in the biggest moment of the game. If you're a superstar, you're not going to do that. You know, I'm the best player on this team. If you are, uh, you know, whoever it were to be, let's say Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, either one. Um, which I think Jalen Brown's better than Tatum. I've always thought that. I always thought Tatum uh, was more of a selfish player, and I always thought Jalen Brown was more of someone you want to build a team around. Um, but then again, that's just my opinion. Um, I know not every Celtics fan is going to agree with me um, on that, and that's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, Steph Curry was just effortless, and you know he wants the ball in the biggest moments. But then you look at the Celtics, as I said, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum just fall apart a lot of the time in crunch time, which I think Jalen Brown's a lot better um, clutch, you know, clutchness-wise than Tatum is. But I'll get into that in a few. Um, anyways, the Celtics losing game four, though, was absolutely brutal. Uh, it's such a big difference, you know, in, in a best-of-seven series. 2-2 or 3-1 is such a big difference. And being up 2-1 gives you the chance to essentially put the series away to a certain extent. You put a nail in the coffin, at least, um, of the Golden State Warriors, if you were to win at home and make it three to one, I mean the Celtics had the chance to do to do that at at home. Had the chance to do that at home uh, and have a three one lead, but obviously came up short. Um, the second half was really tough for the Celtics. Um, Celtics were outscored fifty eight forty three in the second half. Um, in the fourth quarter, the Celtics shot seven of twenty one from the floor and only scored six points in the final seven minutes and thirty two seconds of the game, uh, which is just abysmal. Um, Jason Tatum had. Another rough shooting night once again. Um, four fifteen in two point range uh, shots inside the arc um, and finished with twenty three points um, in the fourth quarter. He had three assists. The fourth quarter, the fourth quarter of the NBA Finals is where you are supposed to be your best. You have to be the best level, the best uh, player you are in the fourth quarter of the NBA Finals because that's crunch time. That's when everything's on the line. Your chance of winning a ring, everything is on the line. Everything you work for in your entire life, everything is on the line in that moment. So the fourth quarter is really where you need to come up big. Jason Tatum shot 1 of 6 from the floor in the fourth quarter, 0 of 5 in his last five shots, had three assists, a turnover, two rebounds, and only three points. Only three points in the fourth quarter Jason Tatum had. You can't tell me he's a superstar. I don't, I don't see it. Um, as I said before, you can't be a top 5 or top 10 player in the NBA. I think he's just outside of that. Um, you can't be a top 10 player in the NBA if you fade away in the biggest moments on a nightly basis. In the biggest moments, Jason Tatum disappears and finds the worst time to go cold. In the fourth quarter, which, as I said, the worst time to go cold is the, is the fourth quarter in the NBA Finals, he's averaging 2.8 points per game to go along with 25% shooting from the floor. And that is just absolutely unacceptable and ridiculous. He's, he has to be better. He has to be better. Um, he finished uh, game four, 8 of 23 from the floor. Uh, 34.8% field goal percentage with 11 rebounds, 6 assists, a steal, 3 blocks, and 6 turnovers. 6 turnovers, that's another thing. I mean, he was going into the game averaging 4 turnovers a game. 6 turnovers in the playoffs. 4 turnovers a game in the playoffs is what he was averaging. But 6 turnovers? 
you need to be better than that, especially in, in the NBA Finals. I mean, even a regular season game, six turnovers is awful. But people come at Russell Westbrook uh, for his turnovers. I'm going to get into Russ actually a little bit at um, the end of this episode. But people come at Russell Westbrook for his turnovers. And they'll you know show every single turnover he has on Twitter and Instagram and every single big shot he misses. Why isn't that the same for guys like Jason Tatum? When he has six turnovers and is shooting one of six on the floor in the fourth quarter, eight of 23, why aren't people showing his bricks on social media? I don't get that. It's a different standard. I mean, as I said, I'm a Celtics fan. I'm just giving you my honest opinion uh, from, you know, from from a sports perspective, how I feel about it. Um, anyways, Tatum shooting just 27.4 percent uh, from two point range in the first four games of the series. Um, 34.1 percent field goal percentage uh, in general, uh, with three and a half turnovers uh, a game, which is just absolutely awful. You need to be better than that. Uh, Marcus Smart shooting 44% from the floor in the NBA Finals, and Tatum shooting 34%. So Marcus Smart's shooting 10% better than Jason Tatum is, and, and, and Marcus Smart's, you know, a guy you don't want to be taking the biggest shots, um, uh, you know, on the Celtics team on a nightly basis. And he seems to be always the guy that is taking the big shot. It's because Tatum and Brown, which I'm going to get to in a second, always pass up the big shot. Not always. I would say Brown, Brown will take them. But Tatum passes it up just about all the time. And in the other times, he's trying to dribble for three and a half weeks and dribbles it off his knee and it you know, goes out of bounds like it did against the Heat uh, in 2020. But we'll get into that in a second. Um, anyways, Jason Tatum is the third worst field goal percentage on the Celts, only turning Nick Strauskas and Sam Hauser for the worst. And neither one of those guys really have played any quality minutes. So I guess all the guys that play, Jason Tatum is the worst field goal percentage on the Celtics. Uh, and that's your superstar. It's a guy that's supposed to be better. Um, and Colin Coward, I think, had a brilliant segment today um, on The Herd um, about Jason Tatum. And, and he said, in this series, there's only one superstar, and obviously that's Steph Curry. Um, and he said, the last four games show you that what the difference is in the NBA between a star and a superstar. In the NBA, there are a ton of stars. There aren't as many superstars, guys that everybody knows whether you like sports or you don't like sports in general. Um, and he said Jason Tatum is a star. He's not a superstar yet. Um, who knows? I mean, if he has a big game five, game six, and game seven, you know, th- these criticisms go away. Criticisms go away. But I know a lot of the time, if you continue to struggle, these things are just going to continue to follow you. If he has a bad game five, people are going to be talking about it after game five, after game six. You know, a year from now, if the Celtics were to lose, you know, Jason Tatum was brutal that time in the finals. Um, but he said Tatum's not a star. He's not a superstar, excuse me, because you can't depend on him um, in, in clutch moments. And he... And Colin Coward pointed out that the Celtics have the third worst clutch rating in the NBA. And that has a lot to do with Tatum because he takes a lot of the big shots. Not always, but him and Brown, it's a lot to do with those two. Take a lot of the big shots. And Jason Tatum fading away and disappearing the biggest moments is just not what you could have um, for a player, especially of that caliber. Um, and Colin Coward used the word shrink, saying that Jason Tatum shrinks in the biggest moments and is not dependable. And I use the word disappear um, and fades away uh, in the biggest moments. So. He has to be better. I don't even mean to put him on blast right now. But if the Celtics want to win, and if he wants the Celtics to win, he has to play better. And that there's no other way to say it. Whether you're a Celtics fan or you're not, I think everybody knows Jason Tatum has to play better, and his play has been truly unacceptable. Uh, today on the radio, I heard 98.5, they said that uh, Jason Tatum... Oh, no, it wasn't 98.5. It was... 95 was talking about how Draymond Green actually has more fouls in the NBA Finals, 18 fouls, and he has points scored 17 through four games, which I'll talk about Draymond in a second. But Colin Coward pointed out that Steph Curry has a higher field goal percentage right now in the NBA Finals 
than a higher, excuse me, he has a higher points per game average in the NBA Finals, 34.1%, than Jason Tatum has field goal percentage, which is just absolutely nuts. Let's see what Steph's shooting from the floor here. Steph has 34.3 points per game, is what he's averaging. 34.3 points per game. Jason Tatum shooting 34.1% from the floor. That is nuts. And he's right. There is a huge difference between being a star and a superstar. And um, I think Tatum is a star. And I don't, I don't see him as a superstar, at least right now, um, especially with the way he's been playing. Um, anyways, Jalen Brown finished game four, nine of 19 from the floor, six rebounds, two assists, um, a steal to go along with 21 points. Um, in the fourth quarter, Jalen uh, faded away also. I mean, he did have six points off three of seven shooting, but had two turnovers. And he's just so careless with the ball sometimes. Two turnovers, three rebounds. Oh of three from three, which the Celtics love depending on the three. I know the NBA today, it's all about threes and flopping to try to get free throws. That's that's the game of the NBA today. Um, and the Celtics just are so careless with the ball and love to shoot threes. And whenever they're cold from three, they're not going to win many games. Um, so Jalen Brown went 0 of three in the fourth quarter, um, three of seven in the fourth with six points. Um, and a key moment was 2.45 left in the game. The Celtics were down three. Um, Jalen Brown gives the ball to Marcus Smart. Uh, Marcus Smart, of course, misses the three. Then after the Celts get the offensive board, Jason Tatum gets it, kicks it out to Marcus Smart yet again, because why would Marcus Smart not t- not take another big shot for the Celtics? Because he just about takes every single one of them, it seems like. Um, and of course he misses it. Um, and the Celtics' two best players passing up uh, the potential biggest shot of the game um, is not what you want out of your two stars. That's unacceptable. It's like March Madness, where... Teams are down one point, two points, and they keep passing it because no guy wants to take the big shot. And if you're a star on a team, especially in the NBA Finals, and you don't want to take the big shot to try to write your legacy in the NBA Finals, oh, I hit the big, you know, big shot, you know, uh, when Ray Allen hit that huge three, which I'm going to talk about um, in a few minutes. Um, but when Ray Allen hit that huge three in the 2013 Finals against the Spurs, that's something you could talk about forever. I hit a three, you know, with. Five, six seconds left with my team down 3-2 in the series to to tie the game, to send it to OT for us to win. I mean, that's just a, a memorable moment, something people talk about for forever. So if the Celtics, Stiles, and Tatum and Brown don't want to take the big shot to try to you know make their names uh, something etched in the history of the NBA Finals, that's just not something you want. Um so then, with the 1 minute 54 seconds left, the Celts are down 3. Um, and Jalen Brown drives, kicks it out to Horford, who misses the 3. Uh, yet again, another example of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, passing up the big shot. Um, and then, fast forward, Celts are down 6 with a minute 35 to go. Tatum drives, kicks it out to Horford. Yet again, as I've said now 3 or 4 times. Uh, Horford did hit the 3 this time, uh, but Tatum disappeared um, in crunch time yet again. Just doesn't want to uh, take the big shot. He decides to play every other night, it seems like. He hasn't had a good finals game yet in the NBA uh, finals in, in any of the four. Um, he's not a top five player in the game, in my opinion. He's not, I think he's outside of the top ten as well. I mean, how can you disappear at the biggest moments the majority of the time and be a top five or top ten player in the NBA? That's when you write yourself in as a top five or top ten player in the NBA, when you have that clutchness factor. And I just don't see him having that um, in these last four games. Um, and say what you want about guys like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, but they want the ball. I mean, I've seen people to point point out, you know, LeBron missing that three, which I just mentioned in, the, in against the Spurs in Game Six of the 2013 NBA Finals, uh, when the Spurs were up three-two in the series, and Bosch gets that rebound after LeBron missed the three, and you know gets kicked out to Ray Allen. Ray Allen hits a huge three, 
it's much different letting Ray Allen, the best three-point shooter of all time at that moment. Um, now, you know, most people probably have a second or third, but, you know, wherever you put Reggie Miller and Steph, you know, I think most people can have first. But Reggie and Ray, probably second or third in most people's eyes. Letting Ray Allen, the best three-point shooter of all time at that moment, take, you know, the game-winning three, or the game-tying three, I should say, um, is much different than letting, you know, your fate in the NBA Finals depend on the hands of Marcus Smart now Horford uh, shooting a three. Much different. Um, and Marcus Smart actually in the fourth quarter of Game 4 was 1 of 3 from 3, 1 of 4 from the floor with 4 points. So he had more points in the fourth quarter than Jason Tatum. Uh, Jason Tatum only had 3 points uh, in the fourth quarter, um, which is just absolutely awful. Um, especially considering since it was a close game, the Celtics need points out of Tatum in the fourth. Um, need more points out of Jalen Brown as well. It's awful to see uh, how poor they played then. Um, but Marcus Smart... One of three from three, as I said, in the fourth. One of four from the floor uh, to go along with four points. Um, he actually had a free throw uh, to go along uh, with those stats. Um, moving on, Draymond Green, as I said, may not have had you know the best NBA Finals so far. 17 points to go along with 18 fouls uh, in the first four games. And he did not have a good offensive game by any means in game four. But he had two of the biggest plays of the game. An assist to Kevon Looney for a layup to give Golden State a five-point lead to go uh, with 102 left to go um, after a huge uh, offensive rebound off a Clay Thompson miss three. Um, getting that assist to Looney after getting that rebound uh, is just absolutely huge. And, and had Draymond Green not rebounded that, the Celtics would have been down three points with a minute to go with the ball, uh, which is just a much different game. Uh, and the Warriors had five assists. Uh, in the fourth quarter, Draymond had three of them. Draymond Green had three assists in the fourth quarter. So he's great facilitator, uh, playmaking, uh, big out there. Which I know he's not contributing scoring-wise, but you know an assist is just as good as a basket. Um, so three assists in the fourth um, is huge for him. He also assisted Steph Curry uh, for a big three with a minute 42 to go uh, to give Gold State a six-point lead, 194. Um, so Draymond didn't play too poor. Um, I know it doesn't show up in the in the points column, but he did a f- three fourth quarter rebounds um, and still record his podcast where he knew he would add that to his his box score. Um, he finished one of seven from the field, two points, nine rebounds, four offensive boards though, which is huge. Him getting offensive boards um, definitely makes a difference. Eight assists, four steals, and only three fouls, which is something to highlight since he fouled out in games one and game three. Um, next Warriors player I want to talk about Andrew Wiggins. Had the most underrated performance of uh, of the whole entire Warriors team. Uh, his fifth career playoff double double. Only the second time he has made the playoffs. Um, the only other time he's made the playoffs was in 2017 2018 season uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, so he doesn't have much playoff experience, but uh, five uh, career playoff double doubles now. Um, and at one of the most important games of his career in Game Four of the NBA Finals, 17 points. 16 rebounds, 7 to 17 from the floor with two assists to steal. Um, and had a huge layup with 4.55 to go uh, to cut the Warriors' deficit to two points. Um, he had four points in the fourth quarter, actually. Um, he had a career high 16 rebounds. His, pre- his previous career high was 11. Uh, so Andrew Wiggins showing up in the big moment of the NBA Finals completely writes away all the, you know, he's a star, he's a good player, but did he warrant that number one pick? He's, you know, he's not this and he's not that. Him having this big of a game in the NBA Finals, that completely writes off everything he's done in the past and how he's potentially underperformed in some people's eyes. I mean, 16 rebounds in the NBA Finals is not easy to do by any means. 
And he did it in you know the biggest game probably of his career, getting Golden State to tie the series 2-2 rather than be trailing 3-1. Um, so I think he had the most important uh, game just with those 16 rebounds. I know Steph obviously had more points, but 16 rebounds was huge. A big reason the Warriors won that game. Um, next, uh, Kavon Looney uh, came off the bench for the Warriors actually in Game 4. Had the best plus-minus of the game, though. Plus 21 uh, rating, 6 points to go along with 11 boards. Um, so he had a really good game. Um, I want to highlight now the Celtics in the fourth quarter. Shot 4 of 13 from 3. As I said, they love relying on 3-pointers. Only scored 19 points in the fourth quarter. The Warriors closed the game on a 17-3 to run. Um, and the Warriors shot 10 of 20 uh, from the floor in the fourth quarter. So when the Celtics are shooting 4 of 13 from 3 and only had 19 points, the Warriors are 10 to 20 in the fourth. You're not going to win many games. Like that, that margin is just too much to catch up on, especially when you, when you're getting outscored seventeen to three uh, on a run. You're just not gonna have any luck. Um, Robert Williams, the most significant Celtics player, uh, which I highlighted um, on my last episode, um, only had two assists, um, no points, and no rebounds in the fourth quarter. Checked out actually with three forty-one to go in the game. Um, he did still finish with the best plus-minus on the Celtics team with the plus six rating. Um, he was three of three from the floor. 7 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, a stand with 2 blocks in the game. So um, definitely contributed um, on the boards in in, in the defensive end uh, with the 2 blocks and a steal. But uh, I wish he had a couple points in the fourth quarter since uh, it would have been huge uh, having some points in the paint, especially considering the Celtics relied so much on the 3. Drive, kick it out, you know, drive, dish it to Rob, see if he can go up, make a play, get a rebound, something. Um so I just saw a report he would be active tonight um, and playing no more minutes in tonight's game. So uh, that'll be huge for the Celtics. Um, anyways, the Celtics actually led this game for 27 minutes and 31 seconds, only trailed for 14 minutes and 30 seconds. But at the end of the day, the Celtics, you know, in that Heat series at one point, won, you know, I think it was in the first three or four games, won every quarter but two of them and was still trailing. It was like, I think it was the first three games. We're trailing two to one in the series even though they won every quarter but two. Two really bad quarters contributed to the Celtics being down 2-1 to one in that Miami Heat series. And it's kind of similar here. The Celtics led just about this entire game, you know, more than half of it, 27-31 of 48 minutes, um, but ended up still losing because, you know, in those 14 minutes and 30 seconds that they trailed, they just dig themselves holes by relying on the three, Tatum and Brown turning the ball over, Jason Tatum having six turnovers, those are just things that are unacceptable, and you need to play better in the fourth quarter. Uh, that's when games, everything's on the line. That's when you need to be your best is the fourth quarter, um, and that's just where the Celtics have actually struggled, the third quarter, actually mostly. But um, the third quarter, you need to be better in, especially considering since you had halftime to game plan, get rested, you have to come out better um, in the fourth Um the Celtics actually were out rebounded, out rebounded in Game Four, fifty-five to forty-two, um, and only shot seventy-three percent from the free throw line as a team, fourteen to nineteen. They need to be better at the line, need to be better on the boards. Fifty-five to forty-two being a rebound is not like the Celtics, considering how well they rebound in the first few games of the series. Um, but they need to be better. Um, and another thing is shooting free throws. I mean, you you get to the line because you're driving down the lane trying to get a call and you're missing free throws. You need to be better. 
Um, anyways, Tony Brothers, I saw, is officiating tonight's game. The Celtics seven to fifteen uh, when he refs in the playoffs. Um, and the Warriors are twelve and eight. Uh, they actually beat the Celtics in game two when he refereed. So we'll see how that plays a role. Um, then Josh Tiven is also refing. Uh, the Celtics are actually two and six uh, with him refing. The Warriors are seven and one. Uh, he also did game two as well uh, when the Warriors won. So we'll see how it goes. I think the next two games tonight at Golden State and then Thursday at Boston. I think the both teams will split. If I had to guess, I'll say the Warriors win tonight, Celts win Game 6, and then who knows what happens in Game 7. Uh, I'm not going to make a prediction there yet. Um, but I think the Warriors win tonight, Celts win Thursday, Game 6, and we'll see where it goes from there. But um, obviously rooting for the Celtics. It would be huge to be up 3-2 and have a chance uh, to win Game 6 at home and have the NBA Finals uh, championship trophy being uh, hoisted uh, in Boston. That would be great. Um, but... I, as I said, I think you know they split these next two games. I think it goes to seven. Um, but thank you guys so much. That's a closing uh, of this uh, episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, the next day or two, I'm going to upload another episode, hopefully, uh, to talk about Bruce Cassidy of the Bruins fired, um, give you guys an update on how the college baseball uh, NCAA bracket has gone and uh, the eight teams that uh, have reached the Omaha College World Series. Um, so I'll be back on the next day or two. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Take it easy and stay safe and well. Thank you.